You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. We're delighted you're here. Um, Shawham is probably the only person in the world who can get people to clap and cheer following just sharing some information. Um, Honestly, if you can come to DTI, come to DTI. We're going, we can't wait. Um, Camping with everyone, hanging out early mornings, late evenings, and obviously serving the youth. Um, Do you know, I I didn't want to share this at the end of worship because I think you've got to take the hype out of stuff. And um, there's a danger that it becomes an emotional thing. But I just sense the Lord might want to fire an arrow at a couple of you, um, potentially some of you online, and just go to the bullseye of your heart. So if this makes no sense, don't worry. Um, But I think it might to some of you, and you might not see it coming. But... I was just I was just sensing that you gotta you gotta choose the community of God and what He's doing, and sometimes there is a distraction to that and a pull away from that, a lure away from that to to career and the financial pressure and sometimes what maybe family or um, others who speak into your life think when they think practically, but to abandon yourself to the purposes of God and. Um, to choose that first and foremost. And I think some of you are currently in like a decision-making stage. Like you, you, you have a decision that's coming up and it's like you're getting lured towards the thing. And as I was thinking about that, I just read in 2 Samuel 6, it says this, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. That's basically his underpants. He, he, he lays aside like his, his, his royal robes and his, his, his thing that gives him purpose and meaning. He always steps aside from, I have position, I have significance, I have, I have finance. I have career path and he says I just want to dance before the Lord I just want to give him my everything it says so David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and blowing of ram's horns I think that is a is a, is a word in season for some of you this morning you've been called to abandon afresh but if you read on it says this but the ark of as as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David Michael the daughter of Saul, this is, this is uh, David's wife, it says, look down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. Sometimes when you abandon yourself to what the Lord is calling you to, people will scoff, they'll scorn, they'll mock, they won't understand it. But dance before the Lord, because it's him that's... Co- Can I just pray? I think that's probably relevant to some of you. Lord, I just want to ask where that's almost a, a word in season and a word in moment, that that would resonate in, in the frailty of how I've shared it, that you would speak and that you would speak with power and authority into the moment of that, that person's life. Lord, that we would align ourselves before the worship of the Lord and that nothing and no one would hinder or inhibit it, that we would give ourselves fully to your plans and purposes. Lord, I pray just stir us afresh this morning as a community. In the room or online, Lord, stir us afresh to be abandoned to your plans and purposes. We open our hearts to all that you want to say and all you want to do in us and through us again afresh this morning. And we worship you. We glorify you. Amen.
Today is uh, the final part of this Known to be Grown series I'm doing. Some of you will be celebrating. I've, I think I partly am, if I'm honest. It feels like the longest series I've ever done by a, by a mile. I didn't set out for it to be that long, um, but it also felt kind of crucial. I think the New Testament calls us to this radical commitment. And the principal thing about discipleship is that it calls each of us into this unconditional surrender to Jesus. And it's therefore our desire to have individually a relationship with the living God, which isn't a, a legalistic or a judgmental thing, but it's, it's one that therefore we seek out God's will for our lives in our everyday activities and our everyday relationships. And we align our life goals and our aspirations around it. And as a result, all of us are learning to live in freedom and live within the definition of being a community of people who have committed our lives to following Jesus. So as we learn to please him and we organize our lives and lifestyles around him, his presence is manifest among us. I, I would say, um, I've probably only seen a snapshot of it, but I would say it's been an absolute delight to see so many of you throughout this series actually change. Many of you would say you're not who you were when we started on this journey and how wonderful it is to become more like Jesus. Now, I'd, I'd just love to ask something of some of you. You don't have to do this, but some of you may just feel you want to. If you can put into words what that's been like and what that change has been like or how that's impacted, would you email me that? I'm not necessarily going to share it with others unless you, you want me to, but sometimes it can be hard to put it in, into words, but it feels quite a significant moment for some of you, and we want to just mark that and acknowledge that and celebrate that. Steph uh, shared something recently at one of the welcome dinners that we did that really grabbed me. She shared uh, something that I think we often share, but she just shared it in a slightly different way. We've often said that uh, the church we planted from when we came here, they trained us, equipped us, stretched us, championed us, and believed in us. Something along those lines. Now, that is true, but in that moment, she explained it in a slightly different way. Um, and it therefore had a slightly different application and understanding. And what, what, what it really was, was this, that we found ourselves in good soil, and we embedded ourselves in it. And this thing is less... Um, it's less taught, it's more caught. So we gave ourselves fully to Christ, his church, and his cause, both feet in, and if I'm honest, a little bit more than both feet in. But you will always get out what you put in. So therefore, being known, being grown, is actually an active choice that kind of is your responsibility. It's a choice for you to participate. It's a choice for you to throw yourself in. And the predominant backdrop to that will always be serving because there is a, there's a shift that happens when we serve. That's what Jesus has called us to do, to be servants. And there's a shift that happens in worship because it opens us up. It makes it possible for us to love and embrace people that we might not otherwise loved and embraced. And worship leads us into community, and the goal of community is wholeness. And therefore, it creates a need for community 
that will lead us to place greater and greater emphasis on things like small groups or the weekend away because they're integral to us being known and being grown. It's all kind of interconnected and interrelated. Now, worship leads us to community. Community leads us to wholeness. And that's not a superficial level of um, like social activity, but it's something so much deeper. And it's something that heals us. We learn to become a body. We learn to become a family together. Because worship, healing, wholeness, salvation, all of these things lead us to serve others, to serve each other, but ultimately then to serve the poor. And that comes from a healthy understanding of what God has done for us. And it then just starts to become a natural overflow in us. Hence, all of the little journey that we've just been on of this series and calling it known to be grown. Because if, if you want to grow, you really need to be known. You need to be known by him, but you need to be known by each other. And if you don't grow, you get grumpy and you get frustrated because we're designed to be a growing people. We're designed to be a growing community that are continually becoming more like Jesus. But I don't want to overemphasize this because it's partly true, but it kind of depends on you. We, the, the, the part that Steph shared about that story that really struck me was it actually depended on us. We just found good soil and we threw ourselves into it. Growing isn't something that is done to you. It's done by you and through you as you actively cooperate with the power of the Holy Spirit and his initiating in you and as you give yourself fully to Christ, his church and his cause. Now, personally, I think that is, that is amazing. The good news is, as you do that and you live that out, Jesus is praying for you. The bad news is you're going to need that prayer. Um, I, I think it's really important that we understand that and we understand that battle that we're in. As we've journeyed through 1 and 2 Corinthians, I'm just going to do what we've done the whole way. We, we haven't got time to go into the detail of all of it, but we're just going to dip into parts um, slightly more than others. But let me just pick up where, kind of roughly where we're up to in 2 Corinthians 10, and it says this in verse 3. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Paul is coming up against something at that time and in that place that sometimes I'd say is no different to often what we face, that there is this entrenched power among those people of unbelief and pride in the human minds at that time. And um, only the right weapons are going to subdue and capture what has become quite a fortified, rebellious place of thinking where they, they almost put God second or third and they place everything else above it. And culture around us, I would say, so often does swamp us with unbelief and pride and various other things. And it's only the gospel that... that really is able to set itself up against that and to resist that and to knock that down and allow um, God to reign and for us to become obedient to him. So I would say we live in a time that is no different. We're contending. Do you feel that? I, I feel that currently. I feel like I'm contending for the power and the authority of the gospel, contending in a time that is rife with just popularist thinking. Verse 1 says this, it says, Paul says, Now I, Paul, appeal to you with the gentleness and the kindness of Christ. 
I was so struck by those two words, gentleness and kindness. The world of social media, the current backdrop to people endlessly debating truth, going head to head with each other, tearing strips off each other. You know, they, you only need to drive down the road to realise that there is somebody somewhere very quickly ready to have a, almost a, quite an aggressive outpost towards you seemingly for no reason. You go into the supermarket and people are demanding their rights at the checkout. We live in a season of entitlement. It's all right. And yet we're called to live, to speak and to react and interact with gentleness and kindness, the gentleness and kindness of Christ. We aren't barging around like the spirit of the age with feisty emails and texts and phone calls and posts and interactions. That's not who we are. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Goes on, verse 5, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Verse 5 is like highlighted, underlined, and circled in my Bible because it has always intrigued me. And I know I'm applying this slightly wider than the context, but I've often pondered what it is to capture rebellious thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. It, it doesn't say, hey, just swan around and take things as they come and it'll all be fine and your mind will just align it says, make them obedient to Christ. Now, how often does it start in your mind and you struggle in your mind with what you think and, and what you ponder and that's the place where worry and anxiety builds? Sometimes you actually have to force it to be obedient to Christ. Romans 12 verse 2 says, don't copy the pattern and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, that may as well be saying, don't wage war as humans do. Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of the world. So how do we do it differently? We let God transform us into a new person by changing the way we think. So how, how do we change the way we think? Well, we have an active part in that, that we capture the rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. And then what happens as a result? Well, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You will live in a degree of freedom and you will see the overflow of the fruits of the Spirit in your life. But we have to fight for what happens in our minds. It's so crucial. What, what's in your mind, in your heart, comes out of your mouth then and becomes what you say and often what you do. Matthew 15, 18, but the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defies you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, or sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. Luke 6.45, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. And I want to say, take it captive. Don't say what you might say in the flesh, and don't think what you might think in the flesh. Because criticism, condemnation, belittling, sarcasm, putting somebody down, the coarse joke, all of that starts 
in the mind. So what, what are we filling our minds with? How are we daily renewing our minds? We need to get more Bible into our minds than news or work conversations or listening to any and every competing voice and influence of the day. Let's just just jump on a little bit. Verse 15 says this. Instead, we hope that your faith will grow so that the boundaries of our work among you will be extended. Then we will be able to go and preach the good news in other places far beyond you where no one else is working. Literally, that is the cry of our hearts for you and for this church. If you missed it, honestly, can I encourage you to listen to the vision talk? We, we have to ready ourselves to reach further into this city. And to do that, we have to grow and our faith has to grow. We hope that your faith will grow so that the boundaries of our work among you will be extended. Then you will be able to go and preach the good news in other places far beyond you and where no one else is working. Phenomenal. The passage before it um, and after it just kind of labours the point that I think verse 17 makes so clearly. It says this, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. If you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. We live in a time and a season where, where people are just grabbing and striving for significance and they get proud and they want to make a name for themselves. And the kingdom of God works in the absolute reverse of that. Matthew twenty sixteen. So those who are last now will be first then, and those who were first will be last. James 4, verse 6, as the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. I don't want to be opposed by God. How do we not become proud by renewing our thinking. We don't conform to the pattern of the world. We can't let the pattern of the world leak into the church. We need to shape and affect the world. So the stage, the platform, the me, the my, the significance, the finding identity and role and title and turf, all of it has to go. How does it go? By finding security of identity of worth in Jesus and Jesus alone. I'm a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody. Don't put people on a pedestal. Elevate only Jesus. Can I just make this really personal? I am not trying to let you down. I'm not trying to live in a way that disappoints you, but I do and I will because I'm a person. I'm not who I was, but I'm not yet who I'm fully going to be. I'm changing, hopefully, by the day, but I'm just a person. When anyone tries to be anything than more, more than purely and simply Jesus to the world, that illusion will cause you to be disillusioned. Don't lose hope and passion for the church because of the people in it. And I don't mean that rudely or offensively. But keep the hope and keep the faith in the church because it's Jesus's. And he's the head of it. And he loves it. And he's coming back for it. And we have to learn to love what he loves. Now, if you're bruised and you're scarred by the church environment, my best encouragement is just show it to Jesus. 
show it to him again, melt in his arms and go again because people will let you down. Goodness me, I let myself down, but he's never let me down. Verse 17, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. Can I just pause and tell you about Jesus? I hope I do regularly, but can we just boast about him? Isaiah 9 verse 6, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's only ever boast about him. Some of you, even this morning, I just turn your life over to him. You may never have done that. You may never have had the moment where you just believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Turn your life over to him. Let's only ever boast of him and him alone. So much of Paul's letters to the, to the Corinthians is to challenge them, is to cause them to realize that they've become lazy or complacent or they're doing silly things. It's kind of no different here and now, is it? You know, equally, I want to say I'm so encouraged by you. I'm so spurred on by you. But either way, and I mean this in the nicest possible way, my hope isn't in you. I love you dearly, but my hope doesn't depend on you. My hope depends on him and him alone. Because if we put that illusion anywhere else, it's going to become disillusion. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2. For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I deeply long for the best for you. I think that's what Paul's saying. I'm not willing to let you live half-heartedly, to squander the best of your faith and the life that you have. God is jealous for you, but he wants all of you, not just the bits that you're willing to give him or to let go of. Verse two, for I'm jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. Paul is, is worried that the, the bride-to-be is flirting with a watered-down version of what God has for us. The bride is his church. Jesus is coming back for his church. Can I, can I encourage you then to read in your own time 2 Corinthians 11? Because Paul then goes through this unbelievable amount of trials and hardship and challenges. And um, sometimes we think we've got it coming at us on all fronts, but... And I'm not trying to belittle that, but it, he just lists some stuff off of you. He's been beaten, he's gone without food and drink, he's been shipwrecked, he's been in danger on land and sea, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And he says in verse 28, then beside all of this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. That verse has always grabbed me in the context of what's just gone before it, because despite the huge list of challenges he's faced and been through, it was his concern for all the churches that was the burden to him. So does, does being family, does being church together cost you? Because I've got to be honest, it cost me and it cost me deeply. It affects everything about my life. Sometimes I'm really burdened by things you're doing or things you're going through or things you're facing at times, sometimes you may be living in a way that doesn't align with what I believe Jesus calls us to, and that burdens me. But I, I, I want to be honest, I think that's okay, because it's his bride, and he's jealous for us, and we should care about it, and it should cost us. 
And there's bound to be dynamics and relationships among us that are going to need working through. And there's bound to be the overflow of people's brokenness that collides and we're going to bump into each other and therefore we're going to need to keep short accounts with each other and we're going to need to deal with our stuff and we're going to need to have people who speak regularly into our lives to help us through that to be known to be grown. So I guess my question is, who speaks into your life? Are you your own boss? Because I'm not, and I don't want to be. Verse 30, if I'm going to boast, I'd rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. So easily we fall into the trap of thinking we're it. Paul had authority, but he didn't become authoritarian and he didn't become manipulative. It can be so easy to fall into the trap of using our position or our gifts or both to create a circle of admirers around us. Paul encouraged people to, to, to lean on them to meet their own need. Or, or people basically wanted the, the need to be met in them and make it look like you need to lean on me to have your need met. People started to want to have their own way, to do it how they thought it needed to be done. It doesn't work like that in the kingdom. We're merely servants who prefer and defer to Jesus and boast only about him. Think of any role. You almost got to just chuck yourself into this context because I'm not going to be able to say them all, but think of the role that you play in life. What does that look like and how does that give you power over somebody else? So if you're a parent or an employer or a doctor or a teacher or a lecturer, and the, the list is, is almost endless. I'm, I'm not saying you shrink back from authority. Authority can be a healthy thing, but the way we use it should seek justice and fair play, remaining like Jesus, merely a servant of other people. What motivated Paul in that passage to withstand remarkable hardship it was a clear understanding of his identity and how loved he was by the Father. His reliance wasn't on himself and it wasn't on his giftedness. Without a doubt, he was driven. No two ways about it, but his drive came from the right source, not from a selfish ambition or therefore the, 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 the outworking of it, therefore, was a healthy thing because it came from a security in his faith in Jesus. Verse 30, if I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord, our God, stands forever. It's all about him. The focus is always him. As soon as we get that, I think then the glory of God can start to shine through the cracked, broken jar of clay, the vessel that we are in our humanness. Chapter 12, verse 6. Let me just whiz on a little bit. I don't want anybody to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. It's kind of saying the same thing in a different way because so often we talk up what we do. We talk up the job we do, our training, our education, because that's the place that we start to find our identity or our significance, but it shouldn't be. We should find that in Jesus. And if we find that in Jesus, we live out in humility and service rather than imposing our need for affirmation. Chapter 12, verse 6. I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life. Don't 
talk me up. I want to talk him up. I don't want to talk myself up. I just want to talk him up. What does that look like in your life? Is it spent on him and, and elevating him? Verse 7, so to keep me from be, being proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. There's so many, so many conversations we could have about what that thorn might have been, persecution or temptation or a speech restriction or epilepsy. There's numerous different discussions around it. I guess for me... The fact we don't actually really know, I think, has increased power for the passage because it increases our ability to apply it wider rather than to try and narrow it down to, oh, it was only just this. But, but wouldn't you say, therefore, if we apply it more widely, that so often our ego can be easily inflated or stroked? And whatever it was for Paul... He saw this fawn in his flesh, fawn in his side as a positive because he says, so to keep me from being proud, I was given a fawn in the flesh. Paul prays three times to be, for it to be taken away because it was clearly something that limited him. Verse 8, he says, three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness so now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults and the hardships in the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Paul prays three times for it to be taken away, for it to be healed, and he didn't receive it. He received, however, things far greater because he received greater grace from God. He received a stronger character, a greater humility, and an ability to empathize with others. In addition, it benefited those around him because they saw something of God at work in his life. God, according to his sovereign plan, doesn't heal some believers of their physical ailments. We don't know why some are spared and others aren't. God chooses according to his divine purposes our task is to pray to believe and to trust and to keep praying believing and trust paul is living proof that holy living and courageous faith do not ensure instant physical healing i think it's important you know that we believe in the tension there's the now and the not yet not everybody is healed and paul kept the this fawn kept paul pinned down closely to jesus increasing his trust and his confidence now what what is that form we don't fully know but what i wanted to say is we're all gonna have forms we all have them well you've got to work out what they are and you've got to work out how they limit you and then you've got to work out how you ensure they elevate jesus rather than you I think that's what Paul did. He used the fawn to elevate Jesus. There is power that brings short-term elevation, but it's the power of the flesh, not the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus is power that is found in brokenness and weakness, and it's really the heart of the gospel. It says we surrender who we are to who he is so that who he is can be revealed through who we are. Does that make sense? We only really accept a saviour when we acknowledge that we need saving. So as we recognise our limitations, the more we depend on God for our effectiveness rather than on our own energy or effort or talent or whatever it might be of our personality. Our limitations and weakness 
not only help develop in us healthy Christian character, but they also develop and deepen our worship because in admitting them, we start to affirm Christ's stamp. When we are strong in our ability or our resources, we're almost tempted to, to do God's work on our own. We think we can do it, and that leads to pride. But when we're weak, we allow God to fill us with his power. Then we're stronger than we could ever be on our own, and we see his power rather than our perceived strength come through. The grace and the power of God interlock with, with human lives at the point of weakness. Honestly, some of you feel weak. I want to say that is a good thing. Come in weakness. It's one of the most liberating things I would say I ever discovered. I'm not trying to find out who I am and what my strengths are. I'm just trying to put Jesus on display. It's a life of sacrifice and service and surrender. The, the, the funny thing is in the context in which Paul is sharing and, and speaking into is from the perspective of the faith experience now, some of us, that will be your limitation because you will feel, I don't have what maybe others have. This is surely relevant to us. Verse 7 says this, I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. Now, our human insecurities can cause us to make out we're a big deal when we're not. I know more. I've read more. I've experienced more than you. My head knowledge makes me better than you. It gives me a hold over you. It makes me feel better. It fluffs me up. That honestly is at, it, it's at its absolute worst. My best encouragement for all of that is run a mile. Run a mile from it. Recognize your limitation. Don't allow the, the, the clay jar to think of itself as important the messenger is not important it's the message just boast and boast only about jesus find safety and security and affirmation in jesus and jesus alone and spend yourself on serving others and every time anyone sticks you even closely to sticking you on a pedestal get off it as quickly as you can and stick it all back on jesus when it comes anywhere near you get off it and get away from it paul concludes 2 Corinthians in, in, in chapter 13, and he kind of rounds it off with a few things I just want to highlight. It says this, firstly in verse 9, we pray that you will become mature. I pray that so often. I, I, I want to be mature. I want to move from milk onto, onto solids. I don't long to stay as, as stay as I am. Honestly, don't set your sights too low. I look back and think there was times in my in my teens and there were seasons where I think I was just on tick over. I often chat with people and they tell me there's, they had times in their lives where they went for it, where they gave everything and you know, that was the year, that was the time. Why not now? Why leave that to be a thing of the past? We're supposed to grow and mature. Some of you, I think you'll think you're past it, you're beyond it. You've hit a certain age where it's like you've done that go again. We, we don't get beyond it. We're supposed to grow in maturity. Of course, there's mountaintop experiences, and of course, it's lived out in the reality of the valley. Of course, there's seasons that are costly and painful and challenging, but that equally is what it is 
and it is all part of maturing because we, how we handle, navigate and respond to them is part of maturing. Verse 11, dear brothers and sisters, I close this letter with these last words. Be joyful, grow in maturity, encourage each other, live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. We've got to have some of those things to experience and know the love and the peace of God among us. We've got to be filled with joy. We've got to grow in maturity. We've got to learn to encourage each other and to live in harmony and peace. Verse 14, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What could God do among us if we gave him the chance? What if fear or self-interest didn't restrict us? What if the need for control didn't overwhelm us? What could God do among us? If our thing wasn't the important issue, what could God do among us? If church wasn't about us or our place and our ways, but instead was about Jesus and what he wanted to do here on earth, what would he then be able to reveal among us of his heart? What if it didn't matter to us what was said about us, whether that be good or bad, but the only opinion that mattered to us was that of Jesus? What would it be like? What if we loved what Jesus loved? What if we let God be God and we were just his people? And what if self-protection wasn't an issue and we didn't care about looking foolish what would God do? Don't you want to know? Don't you want to find out and risk it all again to place ourselves in the place where he might reveal it? Should we stand? Let's see what he wants to do. Steph, do you want to join me? Should we just open ourselves to the Holy Spirit, just to invite his presence to come upon us? but not because we've done it before, not because we did it last week, because we just long for the sweet, sweet presence of Jesus among us. I don't think it helps just close your eyes because you're just attentive to the Lord. The Lord alone, it's not the person next to you or around you. Spirit of God, we welcome you. During worship... Um... Sue's prayed uh, that that our hearts would expand. That our hearts would expand in adoration. And I just, I pray that that will happen now. That as we're waiting, waiting on the Holy Spirit, he is so welcome. I pray that our hearts will expand. That we'll just actually allow ourselves to break before him. It's just just become comfortable with his presence, become attentive to the the small the still small quiet voice. David danced before the Lord with all his might. Sir David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and blowing of ram's horns. The presence of God was manifest among them as they abandoned themselves. Lord, we abandon ourselves. 
just sense uh, there's like a new depth of surrender for some of you this morning. Just to posture your hearts before him. To go again. Some of you, I think there's a... a some of what I talked about, it's like the battle for the mind to to align it in obedience with him. So there's maybe uh, earthly or circumstantial or even just a, like a an imbalance in your mind or there's been an assault and an attack on your mind or it's the place of extreme vulnerability where he's got in surrender it again let him renew it only he can do it through the power of his presence on you I also believe that there are some strongholds that need need breaking um, and then I was struck that as we worshipped we sang in his presence strongholds break and then as Paul led us, continued to lead us through 2 Corinthians we read again that we use God's weapons to knock down strongholds and um, we know that's the business that God's in of, of breaking strongholds and bringing freedom and I I wonder whether some of you could actually even identify yourselves that there are there are strongholds in your life there are things that are holding you back there are things that um you just keep doing or returning to that you just don't want to. Um, some of you, you might not realise that they're strongholds, but um, but the Holy Spirit's at work in you right now. And I and I just I I pray, Lord, come and come and break strongholds, bring freedom. Let let freedom reign in this place. Mm, and true. thank you that in your presence things do change. And so I ask that that strongholds will be broken in your presence. I think one of them specifically is um, it's almost like uh, doubt and uh, a, a, like a lack of believing that God could use you. You could see how he could use others, but it couldn't be you. Because what would you bring? It's, it's like a lack of um, confidence self-confidence I just think the Lord wants to realign that on some of you this morning and actually I think he wants to swing fully the other way I think he wants to put a boldness and an authority and a marking on you that in your weakness he would show and reveal his strength in a minute we'll just respond but I think what is what is currently happening if I can try and put it into human explanation it's like when you download a new app and the, the circle whizzes round till it's fully downloaded it's like at the minute some of you the lord's just resting on you he's just like powering you up there's just a, a deposit and a download of his presence some of you are increasing in awareness of that as we rest and wait in his presence some of you i think it's even not felt anything like that sometimes it can be a physical thing that you feel but it's even just the the gentleness and kindness it's the the, the peace of his presence is resting on you so lord increase it some of you i think that actually feels very heavy it's very heavy that's okay it feels like a pressure on your shoulders or um sometimes it's like a, a a movement in your feet or like a, a slight trembling on your lips. I think that's just just almost like the, the um, it's like a fear of the Lord. And he, he wants to increase your ability to be a mouthpiece for him. Come, Lord. 
as I'm saying some of that, because it, some of you that is increasing on you and you know it, you're aware of that. Lord, let it be. Let it be. Why don't, why don't we just respond to what the Lord's doing? Some of you have an awareness of his presence on you. Sometimes I think it helps to almost have a, a an, an outward sign of an inward response. You might just want to come forward and um, some people will pray for you and stand alongside you. There's a number of you. The Lord is ministering to you quite powerfully. Just while others are standing, why don't you just make your way forward? Don't be embarrassed or shy about that. Don't leave it long. Some people who are in small groups will just come and pray alongside you. If you're in a if you're in a small group and you're not yourself to engage with what the Lord is doing, would you just pray for some of these guys? Equally, there's people all around the room. You just see there's a sensitivity to the Spirit. I I, I deeply encourage you don't disengage from what the Lord is doing. few more guys um, at, at the front equally there's, there's people all around the room where the Lord is evidently meeting with them let's just be just be family in these moments thanks for listening to find out more head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description